Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, occasional filmmaker, more frequent podcaster. And joining us this evening, she is the writer-director of 12-Hour Shift, the writer and star of Natasha Kermani's Lucky, the star of After Midnight and the host of the Reading Glasses podcast, it's Bria Grant. Bria, hello. Hi, you did it in all one breath and I'm really proud of you. <laughs> Bria, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. It's really nice to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you have come to us this evening with Basket Case, which honestly, I'm surprised that we haven't done after 124 episodes. So Bria, you chose this pretty much straight off the bat. Why this one? Uh, you know, I looked through your films and there was a few on there that I was interested in and, I, and you've <laughs> already done them, and that, which is fair. This one is a movie that I just think is really ridiculous but also, I'm a proponent of fun. Like, I do think having fun and humor in horror movies, intentional or not, is important. And I think this is a movie, well, first of all, when I watched it, I remember thinking, like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Because I didn't see this until I was a full-on adult. Actually, I remember when I saw it, I was at my brother's house in New York, and uh, we used to write comic books together. And I was staying at his like tiny apartment. I think it was one room. And like I put on headphones so I could like watch something to kind of like get out of his way because we were like selling our comic at um, New York Comic Con or something. And I watched this movie and I was like, oh, this is cool because it kind of does the like escapist thing that I look for in horror. Mm -hmm. And it just like transports you into a whole different place. It's really ridiculous. It doesn't apologize for being over the top <laughs> and kind of embraces the fun. And I was in New York when I watched it. And New York obviously does not look like this anymore. This is a no. very different New York, a New York I have never seen. I think we're probably not old enough to have been there, you know, or remember it if it was like this when we were alive. But it's just such an interesting, different era. And I love like weird locations like that or locations of a different era, different time. So I think that also plays into it. But I mean, mostly I'm going to say it's a fun movie and I'm a proponent of fun. That's as good a reason as any, I think. Do I win? What happens? No. <laughs> <laughs> I accept that explanation. You have completed strong language and violent scene. <laughs> um, Andy, oh. what I have a feeling that your backstory with this film is a little bit more extensive than mine. Than yours, I would say certainly. Mitch, I've talked a lot of times on the show before about the guy with a video van that used to drive around the streets and you could rent videos out the back of his van, and it mm -hmm. didn't matter what, what the film was or what age you were, he'd just give you it. Basket okay. Case mm -hmm. was one of those films that I treasured and cherished and rented multiple times from him, in the same kind of way that I was getting stuff like the Garbage Pail Kids that we've talked about before. This was one that I went back to the well on millions and millions of times. This is a film that kind of kick-started my lifelong love of Henelotter's films. I guess the kind of ethos and the, this kind of DIY aesthetic that it has is kind of what made me think 
I could make something for no money. It's a film that I've kind of had a real love for my whole life and that hasn't gone away. And just watching it again in preparation for this, it just kind of rekindled all of that for me. I just, I love it so much. Um, Unusually, I have seen this before. Normally, Andy has seen everything. I've seen almost nothing. Um, <laughs> I've seen Basket Case a couple of times. I saw it for the first time, I think about a year and a half ago. And I got to say, I mean, I got a little more out of it on this watch, but I'm quite interested to talk about it because it's not really a film that I've ever connected with. Mm. And you know what I'm like, Andy? I'm very much a like everything guy. So, yeah, you're um, the sunshine kid. Sure am. So, really looking forward to getting into this and understanding both of you, your perspectives on this. Because it's the kind of thing, for as much as I too am a proponent of fun, I would say that this is the kind of thing that I would never actively seek out on my own. Like, I think if I was sitting looking for something to watch, even like from the Sierra, I would say that this is the kind of thing that I would not gravitate towards if left to my own devices. Okay. But I think I think that like the interesting thing about I guess having the guest use the film for this is because it kind of makes you push yourself and go back to things or watch things that you otherwise wouldn't. On this watch, there were a few things that I noticed that I kind of took to a little more. But I feel mm-hmm. like it's you two and then there's me. <laughs> yeah, fine. 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 Yeah. Yeah. What what happens at the end? We arm wrestle and see who won at the end. Like if the movie is worth watching. Yeah, um, I, I think that if, if, if we decide that it's worth watching, then I am executed in a manner of yours and Andy's choosing. Oh, perfect. Great. 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 Cool. Okay. Uh, Bria, before we start, we make everyone who comes on the show do one thing, um, which we're also now going to ask you to do. And it is for the benefit of anyone that is listening who hasn't seen Basket Case. Andy, do we have 30 seconds on the clock? Yes, much we do. I'm just realizing that this is throwing more and more gas onto the fire of this podcast, starting to feel increasingly like a game show. <laughs> Bria, I'm going to count you in and we're going to ask you to give us your best 30 second synopsis of Basket Case. How do you feel about that? Oh, um, I guess I feel like I'm going to do it. That's <laughs> feel the spirit. Good. That's the spirit. Yeah, okay, cool. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one, go. Basket Case is a film about a guy and his brother who were born um as um oh what is the word now it's not we don't use conjoined conjoined twins twins. uh in the movie they use the term siamese twins but um and they have been separated and uh the one of them carries the other one around in a basket and um he has a bloodlust and a revenge (laughs) trying to get revenge on the people who did this to him and also there's a lot a lot of horniness a lot of horniness (laughs) That's that's an important part of the movie. A lot of that horniness, though, that you've mentioned there comes from Belial himself, less from Dwayne, um, which is a bit weird well, at it, times. Well, it's a mind connection. It's a little bit of both, you know? But yes, I think it does come from Belial. He's very horny. We're <laughs> <laughs> um, like a little, a little monster that lived in a basket. Also, Mitch, not our first appearance for Belial and Dwayne on the show because they do make a fleeting appearance in Brain Damage, if you recall. Yeah, of course. I forgot that they appear in that. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about how this opens with um, a distressed-looking doctor running into a house in a mysterious panic, trying to get hold of the authorities, very much in a state of some distress. He is attacked in what sounds like a dramatic but largely off-camera way. Yeah, this is a masterclass in terrified acting. He is a maximum fever pitch. Pretty much from the minute he leaves his house, it's as if he knows the sounds in the bushes could be his end. Yeah, and I also think, just to speak to like what you were saying earlier, this is a really good, and, and also a masterclass, in how to make a low-budget film when you mm-hmm. don't have the special effects or the things to do it. This movie does a really good job of putting things off-screen that they cannot afford, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, is good for this size movie. 
Yep, hundred percent. But that's I mean that that's not to say that we we won't get plenty of Belial action in this because we will see him a fair amount as the film progresses. That is right, and he likes to get bloody. He likes to put <laughs> likes to somehow bloody people up. He has a he's very strong, which I guess yes. we'll get to. He's a very, he's a hot headed guy, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, straight to New York though, Andrea, like you say, uh, New York very much of its time. Oh yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a total snapshot of that kind of time when the grindhouse was everything, and it, I guess it's exactly what Hen and Lotter was making this film for. He had been inspired by New York itself, like mm. the city at that time. Mm. What I will say is, I mean, it sells you quite nicely on the kind of New York that you're seeing, but he immediately gets to the hotel, so Dwayne with the, at this point, mysterious basket. One of the things that I think that the film does best is the way that it shows you this kind of motley crew of characters who inhabit this kind of hotel or motel. Sure. Yeah, that's like literally, I do think it is my favorite part is all of these actors in here who have somehow, they're all in their own movie. They've all created their own movie. They're the lead of their own movies, and they all yell all of their lines. And that is... <laughs> yeah. I it, and so I watch it every time, and I'm like, oh, right, I remember the style of acting in this movie is screaming. That's what everyone does the entire time. And yep. I'm here for it. I'm here to watch it. I think it's very funny. And I think they all are... I mean, even when they're bad actors, they seem to have, like, good comedic timing. And so, like, they all say lines that are really funny and then, like, run down the stairs. And, like, I, I mean, I do think we're supposed to be laughing at, at them. And that that's a good time. They're all incredibly nosy as well. I think it's important <laughs> to mention, like, Dwayne has zero privacy. I think there's maybe five or six times over the course of this film that everyone as a resident in this hotel is in his room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all in each other's business, but then they're also kind of looking out for each other it's a bit of a family you know once you come in you don't yeah. they're not that you get stolen from or something yeah i love the the guy hotel manager because that's what yeah. he's credited as uh he he just he, he's everything to me uh, that guy i see dennis franz is that is that his name from nypd blue playing him oh, yeah. remake oh yeah that would be good that guy's a character and i like in my head he actually owns that hotel like i cannot separate <laughs> him from like, being a real person who owns that hotel Hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. I wrote that down as well, though. That like there was maybe five or six times where you like the faintest hint of commotion. It feels like everyone in the building assembles in this very narrow space in the lobby outside Wayne's room. Yeah. <laughs> we also have uh, O'Donovan here, who is a uh, light-fingered Irish and drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really funny when Dwayne arrives here and it's something that I didn't catch until this watch when obviously I knew a little bit more about what was going on because the first time I watched it I watched it blind on someone's recommendation I knew nothing about it going in so when he shows up and it's like are you here by yourself and he's like yes I'm here by myself nobody else definitely just me nope just me (laughs) not a weird brother in a basket I'm gonna feed hot dogs Uh, (laughs) I don't know why you'd even bring that up <laughs> that scene that you just mentioned with the hot dogs makes me really uncomfortable every time. I think it's the the slurping noise of the hot dogs falling into the basket. Oh, I mean, just, we need to make a point of that. The sound design of this movie is quite intense, and and, and part of it is, is Belial is someone making Belial's like little groans and his like screams and all of that stuff is like horrifying. But then also just the deaths and the and the chewing and anything like that is very visceral like it's all very loud like the people speaking i guess everything's just gone like high volume i also read a thing that uh frank hennelotter said that anytime you hear high heels in the film like high heels on the floor it's him wearing high heels just recording it himself wow good for him absolutely yeah you know what yeah 
I do agree, though. I think that like something that this film has kind of across the board is an outright disdain for the notion of an inside voice. Yes. I mean, the, the guy who, the front desk guy who owns the hotel is always getting mad at people for being loud, but he is the loudest. Like, what is going, he's the one who's like screaming about everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the minute there's a noise complaint, he makes it like five times worse. Like any landlord. Mm, true enough. Yeah. I want to talk, we meet Casey at this point, who I think is um, a really good character and emerges as my favorite character in this watch. Yes. She's the best. And she's, she's one of the only people in it who can act, I think. And mm. I mean, she does kind of feel like she's in like some sort of like New York version of a Tennessee Williams play, but like everything about her is very broad, but like, I'm like, oh yeah, I would watch this woman do a one woman play at any point in time. Like I just find her so interesting. She's dressed to the nines. Sure. Don't know, she spent all of her money mm -hmm. on the clothes that she's wearing. Uh, and she's just such a good character. Yeah, she's so well done. Yeah, I think that, and we'll get to it kind of as it arises, but I think that, like, the more that you see her kind of interacting with Dwayne and stuff like that, the more that I like the character and the more that I want the performance as well. So Dwayne takes up a room for an indefinite amount of time in this hotel and is, like, we, we don't know how, but kind of like has this massive reserve of money that he can just pay in cash, like, up front, which very much kind of silences all of this rabble. Up front when he just hands over this wad of bills, kind of Wolf of Wall Street style. Yeah, don't you think he got that from killing various people? people along the way that's kind of what my assumption was but i guess i've never figured that out my assumption is it comes from the dead aunt oh could be from the dead aunt yeah mm. yeah that checks out that tracks i think that it is uh i think it's funny obviously he kind of he gathers up the basket and heads out into the world out into new york see when he goes to the doctor because he wants to surprise the doctor uh by <laughs> i was like that's a weird thing to say <laughs> like sure. if i was a doctor i think that the thing i would like the least is a surprise in my day <laughs> Yeah. And especially since the receptionist is like, oh, yeah, he'll love that. It's like, Willie, though? It's like, you know nothing about this guy's medical history. You don't know what's going on here. But she's clearly the worst receptionist in the world. She sneaks him in. She, yeah, she's she's not a great receptionist. It's that thing about you don't, you don't shit where you eat. So you shouldn't just be making dates with the first relatively young, single, somewhat attractive man who might wander into your doctor's surgery where you work. Yeah, no, she's very bad at her job. Like, uh, totally bad at her job. <laughs> Also, her wig deserves a credit of its own. I don't know why it's not credited. Whatever it is. <laughs> that wig is just incredible. Belial is a more believable character than her wig. I totally agree. I completely agree. But she, like you say, she does sow the seeds of dating him at this point. Having like she kind of chides him for not having seen enough or done enough touristy things. But we do also get this kind of first hint of what might be in the box because he heads into the doctor's office that seems to be like the utility room of an industrial warehouse. Mm. Um, but he goes in and takes his shirt off, has this enormous scar, of course, on his right hand side. Like I say, for as much as there's things about this that don't land for me, I think that the way that it sets all this stuff up is pretty nice i like it yeah this is also this scene is the beginning of the horniness just to like put a mark in the script it's very early that we realize this is going there's going to be a girl there's going to be consequences here with the with the girl like there's going sure. to be things happening 100 mm -hmm. and yep. i think much it's important to mention earlier on we see a kind of hint of the the mind meld that Dwayne and belial have when belial's kind of pacing through the night and Dwayne's shouting at him to shut up and go to sleep. That's really important from this point, particularly where the relationship with Sharon is involved. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, this is like um, a very early curiosity for me about how they were communicating with each other. Yeah, they have a mind meld of some sort. He takes the basket to the movies and falls asleep and someone steals it. And this is our second Belial kind of largely off-camera murder and it's probably my favourite one in there. Yeah, I mean, I understand. This is a part of the movie I do have a little bit of a like... 
I don't know if I would be taking this basket so many places, but I also understand sure. that you want to get him out and about. You know, you don't want to just leave him in the hotel room because obviously he gets into trouble there too. Huh. It's just it's it's quite a burden, you know, that he has that Dwayne has. Also, can I just say? unwieldy it's such an awkward shaped thing to carry about everywhere with you yeah yeah but this is like pre-rolling suitcases which would probably be the best <laughs> <laughs> you could have strapped him into a yoda like papoose it's also interesting like this era of new york, it has to be this era of new york because who else would steal like a giant ass basket like that's such a weird thing to steal like what do you think is in that you know yeah. like it's somebody's purse or something <laughs> yeah i it's true it's like a, it's like a giant picnic basket exactly yeah. and the, the, the only person that you would realistically expect to steal such a thing would be yogi bear yeah exactly <laughs> you know and this is this is the middle of new york city in the 1980s <laughs> I know. But, but, but would i be surprised if there was a walking talking bear in new york no no not at this era at this era literally there could be i mean look there's a there's like a little a little monster creature so and everyone is surprised but like Honestly, not a surprise. They should call the FBI. Like, this is a wild thing. Yep. It's just the danger of Belial as well. Like, anytime that box is opened, he's never just caught off guard resting in there. He's always coiled like a spring, waiting to attack. <laughs> he is. And he's screaming. He's like, <laughs> ready to scream. Like, he, I don't know why he's not always screaming because the moment it opens, he is mouth wide. You're right. Ready to, like, just pounce. I do love that though. Like, like I think that like I love that. I love the fact that any time that he has any shot at oxygen, he's just screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I alive? <laughs> but uh, yeah, Doctor Neilman, as you said, Andy from earlier, he uh, gets in contact with Doctor Cutter, who is living her best life, as far as I can tell. Oh, for sure. Oh, oh yeah, I like that they made her like she's kind of a cougar. She's living it up. It's great. Mm. It's a nice way to depict a lady doctor. <laughs> Whereas, like, Needleman, what happened to him? Like, his life went downhill, really. Yeah, he's just sitting, like, eating, like, a meatball sub and it's all between his fingers and, like, yeah. his, his office is straight up filthy. Oh, it's oh so God, yeah. It's small. Uh-huh. Like, not up to code. No, absolutely not. And, I mean, maybe that was why he was involved with this in the first place, is that he's the skis doctor that everyone calls. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like the, the kind of like the kind of below board guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the guy you call. And I mean, I don't know if he got paid like a lot of money to do it. I don't know. We don't really know. I guess we know that they separated them, but we don't really know too much else about it, right? <laughs> I guess, we'll, <laughs> yeah, I guess I we'll never know. One thing I wrote down is that I think that this is like either my third or fourth watch of Basket Case. And I always forget, given how kind of ridiculous and how over the top it becomes, I always forget how slow burn the first act is in terms of precisely how much it shows you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, I think it's good. And also, again, low-budget movie making. He probably had to really pick and choose what he could show because it's a mixture of puppetry, like just a straight-up sort of doll situation and uh, stop-motion, right? You know, you really had to pick and choose because... Because, I mean, the stop motion, I actually think, just to cut to later, looked pretty rad. But, mm -hmm. like, it's mm -hmm. hard. There's a moment where, like, the hand comes out of the toilet and I'm like, oh, they had to, like, rig the toilet to do that. And even... I mean, I made a couple of low-budget movies in the last couple of years, and I'm like, yeah. I don't know if 
we could have afforded to like rig a toilet to do that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you really need to choose when you get to see Belial. Yeah, and I, I think I, I mean I, th- I think that it works in its favor the way that it kind of paces that. Yeah, totally agree. And also, I just gotta give a shout out for for Dwayne. I mean, most of the movie Dwayne is literally as an actor. This is my actor perspective. He's literally talking to nothing. He's yeah. literally speaking to a puppet or someone's hand within a like a, a puppet situation or just a doll or just a basket. And he's talking to himself the whole time, which has to make him feel like a total dumbass. And I always think about this kind of stuff from the actor perspective. And I feel like he's really committed and I appreciate that. I never once think, oh, he doesn't buy this. I'm like, this guy truly thinks that his brother is in this basket. <laughs> Mitch. Yes, yes. Knowing you as I do, could that be part of the reason that you don't warm up to this film because there's too much of a character talking to themselves? I do have historically an issue with characters talking to themselves, but... Like, like, um, or like talking to like something that isn't there? Um, well, I mean, I, I would say that like realistically, I would say that I probably wouldn't file this under that because I get that he's talking to something. I have a massive like weird pathological aversion to uh, characters by themselves saying things out loud to no one. I feel a similar way because I I would say it's not realistic, but I talk to myself all the time, but it's helpful that I have animals around and I just talk to the animals. Yeah. But I have the same thing in scripts when people talk to themselves, like unless it's like like once in the blue moon, I'll enjoy it. But, but I'm with you. But I think when you're talking to something, this is more like, I would say a craft thing. Like I just enjoy that like when you have to as an actor, because often like what you don't realize as an actor is that when you're getting your coverage or something, sometimes the act- other actor isn't there. You're often talking to mm-hmm. no one, you know? And it's and it's kind of shitty. Like I'll be like doing an emotional scene to a tennis ball on the end of a stick. <laughs> and the actor in there and I have to have an eyeline of some sort or like a piece of tape on a wall, you know? Sure. And I'll be crying to a piece of tape on the wall. I, I just like I have a massive amount of respect when an actor has to do that for a full movie and agrees to do it because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you I would not I would not agree to that. <laughs> really? Okay. Um, no, I mean like I'd be inclined to. Okay? I mean I think like I, I I wouldn't take the same issue with this because there's no way that he can be talking to a real person here. So I guess like I, I'm kind of content to let that slide. The issue is more with like um the one that always kind of like this is extremely niche and I apologize. But the one thing that always comes to my mind is Saw Five, which is a franchise that I love. But there is like there is multiple flashbacks where someone is constantly asking questions aloud and i think that that was the moment where i realized that if it's just a person on their own like on their own in the room asking questions to the room is where i really kind of like that's where it kind of falls down for me wait but mitch do you talk to yourself no 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 hmm. <laughs> inner monologue out loud ever i really no i really don't think so although it's kind of fascinating that i really had to think to answer that question when you asked it though well, i think we all have an inner monologue i think it's just whether or not you say things out loud yeah, I, th- I think I tend to leave it internalized. Andy, do you talk to yourself? Oh, like, I, I, all the time. <laughs> because you guys are the ones that are kind of like on board for this film, I'm now wondering if just like we're very distinctly separating into two bubbles, two camps now. Yeah, I mean, if listen, if you had a brother that was attached to you at birth and had to get removed and also could speak to you via your minds, you would talk to yourself out loud, but you'd really be talking to him. So, I mean, and just to get back to the movie. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, it's like, very realistic. <laughs> I was going to say, say, say we're, we're really far out there right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I, I have a real life twin sister. Oh, wow. But, but fascinated with twins, so that's interesting. To can, me. can you feel each other's pain? The short answer to that is no, but what I would say is that if we are in a situation, like if we're out and like, because she lives in London, I live in Scotland, we don't see each other very often. Whenever we are out, 
like together in company and stuff and we both have to like you know when you're out with like relatives who have very different and possibly very conflicting or problematic political opinions and things like that um and somebody says something but you kind of have to poker face it at the table i can tell exactly what she is thinking and afterwards we can just go and immediately know what each other are going to say but no we can't feel each other's pain and we can't communicate telepathically but i do think that we can read each other better than i can ever read any other person okay maybe i'm just just a shot in the dark maybe you don't like this movie because it's too close to home (laughs) 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 it's like you're like this could have been your life you could have had to carry her around in the basket or vice versa you could have vice versa i get the feeling it would be joanna carrying you around in a basket bitch i also think that if i was belial i would be way more benign than him okay (laughs) I think that somewhere, somewhere along the line, I would have just made my peace with that being my lot for life. And okay. just being like, well, it is what it is. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, it's like, where even were we? Uh, but we're coming up to actually the first reveal of Belial in the film when he kills Dr. Needleman. And it is hilarious. It's wonderful. Yeah, quite intense, quite bloody. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that like, it's never even clear how he's killing people for the most part. It's just like he's... <laughs> very strong and i like that they work together in this like it's a nice little like sibling situation this is one of those things that i think is really divisive for people who do not like horror movies like when my friends from college are like i can't watch that movie it's too it's too bloody it's too gory like this is the kind of scene they would point to and be like all horror movies are this scene and like no 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 horror movies there there's so many kinds of horror movies this is a kind of horror movie and i do enjoy it and i do think it is very silly and very funny and imagining them shooting this feels like it was just a really good time and i kind of like that it's just over the top so it's not scary i don't think this movie is ever really scary but it's it's silly and you get to and you get the point you know it seems very much to me like belial's mo is just mashing people's faces yeah just he's got very strong hands that's all we know i guess yeah, he's got strong hands and limited resources. I mean, like I think that, like he's like you know like he's he's doing his best with what's there. You know, it's like I think like his kills can't be that creative. No, no, he's just brute strength and a strong voice, ready to <laughs> <laughs> scare the shit out of people. He really scares people with his scream. I mean, that seems to be his mo at first. Yeah. Industrial strength fists and a hell of a set of pipes. Uh, yeah. Also helps if you've got a massive chip on your shoulder, which he clearly does. And, and wouldn't you, you know, the dad was so mean oh. to, to him and he heard every word of it and they treated him like he was just like freak or something. That's that's pretty bad. Agreed. Can I get a check on the receptionist's name? Does anyone have Sharon. that? Sharon, thank you. Because the next thing that we see is kind of like this kind of fledgling romance between her and Dwayne. I would say that she falls quite hard quite quick. I think that the first time that they're out together, she says, I know a lot of guys, but they're different. They're not like you kind of thing. She moves at an intimidating pace. Yeah. Like, I s- th- listen, Belial and Dwayne are horny, but so is she. She's, she's 100%. 100%. And I love that her, like, pickup line, she's like, you got to see New York, which is like, no New Yorker actually feels that way, I don't <laughs> think. And then later she admits, she's like, I didn't actually want to see all these things. I just liked you. I mean, I like it. She's like a babe with a agenda and, like, ready to go. I'm into it. I like I like a, a woman who knows what she wants. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, actually, it's worth mentioning that while this is going on, this is the time where Belial trashes the hotel room and it is unbelievable that's amazing yeah yes i just recently watched is it citizen kane that has the massive hotel crash or like a room smashing scene where they do it all in one shot i think it's citizen kane it's citizens kane or oh someone's gonna be really mad that i don't remember (laughs) the scene 
the other day because I was like trying to prep for something and I was thinking of like trashing scenes and watching that and then watching Belial doing this I was like you know I feel like there's a link here and I feel like <laughs> this is some awesome filmmaking and then everybody freaks out and they're hearing it I, I think it's a really fun scene I, I I think this is amazing this might be my uh this might be my favorite scene of the whole thing Wow. Uh, the stop motion when he's trashing the hotel is incredible. I love it. Yeah, and for a film of this size to do stop motion is just, I mean, it must have taken forever. But I, uh-huh. yeah, it's cool. And it's also, I mean, since you don't really understand how Belial moves up until this point either, like that's helpful to kind of explain that. And then also he just has that rage. He has an inner rage and he's going to tear shit up. <laughs> when he's not eating hot dogs, he's tearing up hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> just like Nikki Six. <laughs> Inner rock star comes out, gonna tear up. I guess it's a hotel, yeah, a hotel room. I feel like it's a hotel, like a long term hotel, long term stay hotel. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because it certainly seems like everyone that is already there have these kind of like long held and very deeply entrenched relationships. Yeah, yeah, and everyone's rooms kind of made up in their own way. Yeah, that's yeah, true. But- that's true. They all look very lived in, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, except for his, which just looks like the saddest room that's ever existed. Which checks out because he's new. Apparently it's the nicest room in the hotel, though. Right, yeah, they do say that, but I mean, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's not a nice hotel. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's supposed to be seedy, right? Yeah, I mean, but I must admit, increasingly as it goes on, like everybody in there, you're right when you say that everybody kind of feels like they're in their own movie. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the movie that I want to watch. (laughs) <laughs> just that hotel like what happened i would watch the tv show of this with what happens with those people every week because secretly they all have their own monster in a basket or something like not that but whatever the equivalent of that is sure own weird secret oh my god so many of these conversations seem to end or at least touch on pitching something as a 10-part netflix series and that's what i want for this the basket case the 10-part netflix series yeah the 10-part netflix anthology series where you meet a different occupant of the motel every week would definitely watch would would watch (laughs) (laughs) after the hotel room gets trashed the police are on the scene needless to say so is everybody else in the building (laughs) we find out that the guy from downstairs who had tried to rob him originally he'd been kind of skulking around trying to pick the lock and things he resurfaces and uh we find out that his name is brian mickey o'donovan and i was like do you suppose he's of irish extraction we know that though from earlier when he's he's talking in an irish accent and brandishing a bottle of i don't even know some kind of moonshine <laughs> it is around this time that we well we realized kind of from Dwayne's interactions with belial that belial was the kind of mastermind or the puppet master of this revenge mission that he's on against these doctors who did the separation sure yeah and then i think that like the stretch of the film that interests me the most kind of comes in around here because Dwayne heads out to a bar um again dutifully with the basket Mm -hmm. and with belial because he takes it everywhere and like i don't know have you like have you ever been the person in a pub or in a bar who has the gigantic bag you know it's like when you like when you've just come off the train or something like that and you're meeting people traveling and you're like i got my suitcase here and it's like so embarrassing yeah it's the worst yeah it's like uh, yeah it's like i hate being that person you know the person that shows up to join like a table of 12 but you've also got this awful unwieldy suitcase on wheels being like hey guys can we is there somewhere i can stash this for the next four hours i feel like yeah i feel like he's that guy everywhere he goes yeah he is but i like this scene a lot because i feel like it's his moment to it's the one moment he actually gets to escape he just there's a lot there's i mean he literally carries his brother around in a basket i mean it's a very real not realistic situation but it's it's literally you know the monkey on his back or whatever you know and and it's nice to get to see him let loose a little bit and kind of make a friend it's a it's a really nice little scene yeah and just and just have some fun 
Yeah. I actually think that from the scene where Belial's in the toilet to where Dwayne's kind of cradling them and drying them off and they're just having this real kind of nice little chat to each other, from that point all the way through all the stuff with Casey to the end, I think it's, I think it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I think that during this exchange with Belial and Casey, I think like, because if I was Casey, I would 100% be doing the same thing that she's doing in that I would be definitely quizzing him relentlessly about what's in the basket and why he's taking it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that you see her kind of having this perfectly fine, perfectly measured good time with Dwayne, who says he doesn't drink, but then drinks and obviously gets kind of quite drunk and kind of loosens his tongue a little bit. I have to I say, think his drunk acting is something else. <laughs> you thought they were yelling before. There <laughs> but I, I think that the way that um you see Casey kind of laughing along with him and as his kind of chat gets more specific and more graphic, the way you see her progressively backing away mm-hmm. is really cool. I think it's performance-wise, it's my favorite individual moment in there, I think. Yeah, totally agree, actually. Because you can kind of see this urgency or this strangeness kind of ripple across her face. Yeah, and you can tell that he wants to connect with somebody. There's very few real moments in this movie, but I think that he really is looking for a person. He wants to talk about it, but he can't talk about it because it's so weird, but he can get drunk enough to talk about it. And we've all been there. We've all talked about something because we're drunk. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think the film does something interesting here because it's built up this kind of sympathy for Belial that goes into the flashback that we're about to come on to, this extended flashback about how we got to this point with the Bradley twins. But then what it does is it kind of takes that goodwill that's been built up around Belial and, like we kind of said earlier, turns him into this really breast-obsessed, gropey little madman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I I feel like that's something that I've always kind of struggled with in the film, is that he suddenly becomes this weird little creep and it kind of undoes some of that. Yeah, agreed. And and I think that this is like something I was thinking about last night uh, when I was watching it again, because it obviously ends, which we haven't got there, in this horrifying way, which I'm like, oh, I hate this part of the movie. And mm. like, I might in another movie that was shot more recently, like just turn it off because I'd be like, this is completely inappropriate and not cool. But I think that it's okay to have complicated feelings about her. <laughs> <laughs> movies and it's okay that like there are parts of this movie that i really love and parts of this movie i'm like let's never shoot that again like let's never make that part of the movie let's never see his creepy little hands trying to like touch a woman's boobs ever again but that doesn't mean i throw the entire film out i think that that's like a really important distinction to make i think that like you know you, you see some things that are kind of like in something that you otherwise love that does feel like this kind of very ugly product of its time. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I was just going, uh, right before the pandemic, uh, I'm going to go on a tangent, just so you know, but um, right before the That's pandemic, fine. there's this journalist and writer, uh, he's mostly a writer now, uh, named Mark Bernardin, who started putting on a series at, at Alamo Drafthouse where he's like showing these movies, and it was movies that he's like, I have problems with all these movies, but I still love them, and we mm-hmm. were watching Serenity, which is a weird movie regarding race, like, and regarding, like, the way they use Asian culture and stuff. It has a lot of problems, but I love that movie. And it was interesting to hear him and and another person talk about it afterwards, about how, look, we can have these complicated feelings about movies, especially, like, one like this, which is clearly supposed to be, you know, low budget and over the top and insane. And and they're going to push some buttons that maybe today I'm not that excited about having pushed, but... (laughs) Sure. 
Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't parts of this movie that I'm like, I don't know. I think that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a little bit trigger happy to like dismiss things out of hand because they have these elements that don't hold up well or don't stand up to scrutiny. It's like I think that like, and I think that that's true of some stuff in here. It's like it's much more interesting to let that inform the way you look at something rather than just decide you're not going to look at it because of that you know what i mean especially like looking at this as a product of its time and of new york and of um very low budget filmmaking and a lot of these actors is the only thing they ever did or um you know one of their first things and so i mean just seeing it as that even though you know i'm joking they're all yelling their lines but it is (laughs) is this product of this era like i mean like you just see very much you know early 80s in this and and that style of filmmaking and acting yeah i did not expect the flashback that we pulled into here to occupy so much real estate in the film Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i like it though i think it's important and i think it it plays out well like i think it's uh, never less than tragic to see belial tossed out in the trash like so many old potato peelings like it's just it's just (laughs) Really sad to see his little hand emerging from that kind of black bag. And then I love the way that they kill the dad. They, they build the most deadly, sharp-bladed implement I've ever seen in my life. Like, it's a spinning blade with pitchforks and scythes and all manner of stuff, like, attached to a wheelchair. Yeah, they really go all out. It's a real Saw-like situation. They've really, like, created a very, like, complicated machine. (laughs) And then you get to see the lovely aunt for the win, and she just, like, is a real kind lady and Hmm. really is like, I'm not going to tell on you. I understand why you would kill your mean old dad. Like, she she sides with them, and I'm like, that's the aunt you want. I think in, like, another movie, she would have been, like, the Dexter's dad or whatever, like, taught them not to kill people. She definitely didn't do that, but she did, like, accept them for who they are. There's a lot of questions have to be asked of the Glen Falls police office here because (laughs) they're very quick to dismiss the death of the father as some kind of crazy accident. Uh, Yeah, yeah. What kind of wild accident would produce that? Yeah. (laughs) Just a classic case of circular saw swiping. (laughs) See it every day. See them every day. Like, I think it's so sweet to see the aunt not cradling Dwayne, but cradling Belial and reading to him. It's just lovely. Yeah. When I said that this kind of this flashback occupies a lot of time, I don't, I don't, I like, I didn't, fr- I didn't mean to frame that as a criticism at all. I actually kind of think that it's like kind of a nice surprise that it does a lot of heavy lifting character-wise here. I think it's kind of cool, kind of cool. And Andy, I thought the exact same thing. I think like when you see her kind of like reading to Belial, it's like this surprisingly sweet moment in a film that is not known for them. <laughs> yeah. We do double back to the present day after that. And the entire sequence with Casey in a room kind of by herself is incredibly disturbing, I think. That's bad, but it gets worse. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I'll agree. My favourite line of the film goes to uh, when Dwayne hunts down Dr. Cutter and um, when he stands outside the building, reads aloud, she's a vet, an animal doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think this scene between these two actors is remarkable. It's one of the most awkward and stilted things i've seen for a long time but it cracks me up yeah i mean and and we're getting towards you know the end of the movie and i feel like it's a good like we're getting to the good like big bad moment like this is why we're here this is what we're doing here you know it's kind of grounding you in all the knowledge you need for where this is going to ultimately go right dr carr liberally lobs around words like freak for a medical professional um (laughs) 
She's a vet, mate. Um, understandable. You're not like, like dogs, freaks. That's okay. Like in the vet, <laughs> totally not. It's not looked down upon. It's totally. Cool. Yeah, it's like it's like it's not in the spirit of being a vet, but it's not technically against the rules. Right, right, right. <laughs> Sharon has found out about the doctor's death at this point and Sharon kind of re-enters the fray in an important way at this point she comes to Dwayne which may not be the comforting experience that she's anticipating no uh, yeah Ardor is significantly lowered in this scene by uh, Belial bursting out of the box screaming don't forget he's screaming <laughs> as ever I mean what else <laughs> by the way I just want to say Dr. Cutter's death is incredible another good one another good one I mean all the death sequences are quite good in this movie I, and they don't skimp on the like okay if we're gonna be able to like you know burst an eye out or something like we get to see it, it they go mm -hmm. for it you know like you say given the pool of resources that you're working with I don't feel like there's very few things in here that feel like pulled punches mm -hmm. like nothing nothing looks like it's being depicted in a way that they wouldn't have with a bigger budget kind of thing I, I, don't, I don't feel like anything feels like it's compromised yeah the end of this is chaotic to say the least of it right yes Go on, Mitch. I, I love the ripple of somberness. <laughs> is there an attempted rape here from Belial? I believe so, unfortunately. And yeah. this is another part of the movie that I'm not a huge fan of. I think it's okay for us all to admit that that's not okay. Before we could dig into the, how troubling that scene is, I want to talk about the scene where Dwayne falls asleep after Sharon's gone home and he has the vision of himself running naked through the streets of New York. Yes great scene yeah it's, it's amazing the original plan was to have bill isle walk in the streets but they realized that they didn't have the ability to do that or the the money to do it and i think it i think it works really well and i think it there's never any doubt of what's happening to have i guess Dwayne kind of playing bill isle on his uh naked run through the streets to go and kind of have this final standoff with sharon i think it's, i think it works really well i think it's great it's a cool filmmaker thing to do it gets weird and the movie is weird and i like that they just kind of embrace the fact that i don't know like new york is such a cool backdrop i, mm. I just think it's such a rad a rad moment in the movie yeah it's worth not blowing by definitely because it's because it it's a really cool sequence and you're right andy yeah there's never any doubt about what's going on it's just like an interesting choice and the choice totally works you can go back to talking about uh belial doing bad stuff to sharon i was really excited to talk about that thank you <laughs> um yeah this is fairly heavy going stuff yeah. Yeah. It's part of the movie I actually always forget about, and then I get there and I'm like, oh, right. Uh, oh. Yeah. Which I think is, you know, in part because I think that they are like, you know, they feel each other's thoughts. And so mm. I guess like we're supposed to believe that he also has, wants to have sex with this girl, which I get it. I don't think it's needed. Mm. And um, we get it enough. Like he goes in and, you know, he strangles her. He doesn't, he does, he does enough bad stuff to her. But, yeah, again, this is like a part one of those things in the movie where I'm like, I can't blanketly recommend this is like the best movie ever been made, but I do think there are some fun parts. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I, I think that like it's it's things like this that kind of make this a good example of that, though, as well. Yeah, I think um, I read somewhere as well that uh, this scene prompted other crew to walk off set. I think it was this bit. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I think a similar thing happened later on brain damage with the, you know, the, the blowjob scene in brain damage really yeah i think uh some of the crew are like well that's me done for today thanks yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean i guess that makes sense and uh Dwayne intervenes and drags belial home in the basket <laughs> i haven't written down in my notes that they argue 
which kind of feels like an like an oversimplification. <laughs> yeah. Again, for like the umpteenth time in this film, at the sound of commotion in the room, everyone gathers in the hallway. In the struggle, they both fall from this hotel window. The final set piece for this is really quite dramatic. Yeah, that's yeah. total Greek tragedy stuff. My favourite reaction from the crowd assembled below to a man dangling from a hotel window as he's choked to death by his deformed conjoined twin is the guy that said, <laughs> are you okay up there? <laughs> as big as it should be honestly but this is seedy new york in the 80s i feel like maybe this happened all the time i don't know it's like yeah this guy's seen some stuff it's like yeah it's like it's like this is a little bit unusual but it's not shocking yeah i do love i do think it is a really nice bookend though this this last moment i was watching it last night and thinking oh this is nice because in the beginning you see this hotel he's carrying the brother at the end you see the hotel and the brother's holding on to him you know in a very yeah. different way okay yeah mm-hmm. oh my god i'm so bad at subtext <laughs> <laughs> i don't listen i don't know how much subtext is in this movie but i feel like that's one <laughs> i'm so, like i'm so bad at regular text <laughs> <laughs> ultimately yeah they both fought with their death which i think like it's, it's no they don't well because they made another two did make another movie they did make another one but for the sake of this movie it seems like they have fallen to at least a very severe injury sure, yeah yes. like to my untrained eye i assume that they had fallen to their death i, I kind of like to believe that they have because i'm not a big fan of basket case two or three for my money it kind of ends here but okay. I, I think there's some stuff to like in, in both of the sequels okay uh bria you got any differing or same thoughts on the sequels you know what's weird i have never seen the sequels as much as i like this movie you know what? that's not true i've seen two but i don't really remember much about it i've gotten a little bit more out of it as we've spoken about it tonight i would be curious to see what happens next or at the very least like what happens in who gets his room afterwards does someone else take <laughs> that great room like <laughs> honestly like all of my investment is in everybody else who lives in that hotel <laughs> yeah um with that though we are out on basket case andy yeah you love this one don't you i do uh, i said it at the start i'll say it again now i think it's i think it's great i think it's an absolute masterpiece of diy exploitation cinema and yeah it's very much a filmmaker trying stuff out finding his feet finding his voice and i love it for that it's amazing you can see the seams all over the place you can tell that most of the people aren't actors and i think that really just adds to the charm of it for me i mean for as much as i am happy to admit that this is on paper and in practice this is not my thing like this is not something that appeals to me but I would say that what I have gotten out of talking about it tonight is, I guess, more of an understanding of... I guess I always understood the budgetary constraints and kind of working with what you had. Mm -hmm. But I think I've understood more about what works for people who are more into Frank Henelotter and that style of filmmaking than I am. And I think think that's kind of why it's important to talk to people who are more confirmed, sold fans on these things than I am. Because, I mean, this is going to sound like a weird thing to say, but I don't particularly value my own opinion in these things because I understand that they are good in the sense that like they appeal to the people who like that brand of filmmaking and it's not for me because i kind of feel like i'm on an island with this i feel like the only way that i can really dig in is by talking to people who love it okay i feel i have the same about certain movies where i just have to say that's not for me but i can appreciate them for what they are exactly that and i think that like that's kind of where i've arrived at tonight which i think realistically is about as good as you could be expected to do that's fair you know? that's- fair response to back basket case <laughs> thank you very much do i win something now yes you win um uh uh we're sending a basket to your house 
<laughs> oh, cool. Okay, I'm really don't excited to see what's inside it. Don't open it. <laughs> <laughs> Just take it to the movies and do a couple of bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bria, I can't believe that it has taken more than 100 episodes for someone to uh, come to us with Basket Case. And it's been really fun to talk about it tonight. Ah, happy to provide. I think it's probably about time that we spoke about the very busy couple of years that you've had. We can. I've talked about it a lot. So you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess most pertinently, by the time this airs, Lucky will have played at fright fest in the uk yeah so that is directed by longtime friend of the show natasha mm-hmm. natasha kamani and uh written by and starring yourself so do you want to talk about that first a little bit yeah yeah um we quote unquote premiered it at south by southwest this year which got canceled yeah. and then mm-hmm. played fantasia and then we're so excited to play fright fest um we play night stream as well and excited to play fright fest and a couple more this year because it's you know we wish we could have done the festival run and we didn't really get to do it um, but it is a sort of a surrealist, um, satirical slasher movie about a yeah. woman who starts getting attacked by a slasher every night and the rest of the world is like, yeah, that's normal. You're supposed to get attacked every night. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's about. <laughs> and um, Shudder have acquired this, right? Yeah, Shudder. It comes out on Shudder next year. Amazing. Amazing. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Also, 12-hour shift, yeah. which we have seen because it played the digital edition of Fright Fest back in August. It was my favorite film of that festival. I don't mind telling you. Really? Oh, shut up. That's so nice. Thank you for saying that. Oh, no. It's shut amazing. up, um, <laughs> Yeah, I love this film. I also, um, as a latecomer to horror, like when Andy was talking about watching things from the video van when he was 10 or 12, I don't have those stories. I came into starting to watch horror in my 20s. And one of my big bridges from watching kind of multiplex horror to going down the indie horror road and going to festivals and seeing things was me. So it's interesting to me to see Angela Bettis in anything. But watching her in this was really cool and really exciting. Was it written for her? No, it was not. I, I also... So feel like my gateway drug to indie horror was May. And oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't grow up. I mean, I grew up watching some horror movies just because I was a kid and I had an older yeah. brother. But but really getting into like understanding independent film, May was one of the first movies that I people were like, it's an indie, and I'm like, what does that mean? Um, so that was huge for me. Um, but no, it wasn't written for her. I mean, I'm an actress, so I kind of write roles where I'm like, maybe I'll play this, maybe I won't. But I just sure, try sure. to write something that I would want to play. Um, And when uh, we got it greenlit and were ready to go, I just was like, what about Angela Bettis for the lead? Because I just think she would really do an amazing job. She's also from Texas, where I'm from, and I've always wanted to work with her. And I think she's just, she can just kind of do anything. And I think she killed this role. Oh, she's she's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, she's she's so good. But I mean, like, like, I really love the film. It's pretty accessible in America right now. Is that right? Yeah, you can get it in America on you know, all the rental places and it's not sure. that expensive to rent. I think it's like five bucks or something on like Amazon and iTunes. And then I believe it comes to the UK early next year. Ooh. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. And I think we're playing, we may be playing a couple more European festivals with that one. I honestly, I can't, I, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can understand you losing track of these things. There's a lot of irons in the fire right now. Yeah, there's, well, also just the pandemic makes everything hard because you may be playing a festival, but I'm just still on my couch, so yeah, I don't sure. know. <laughs> sure. But then so are we, uh, we're all on our couches as well now. Like, it's not like, yeah. it's not like we're getting to go to festivals either, I suppose. So it's, uh, it's, it's just yeah, it's a generally weird, time. weird. Speaking of films that are playing festivals and films that are playing Fright Fest, though, as well, uh, The Stylist. Yeah. Also doing the rents yeah. right now. 
it's playing this Fright Fest, or is it it play? Yeah, I guess it's playing this one. This, this one. Yeah, it's this playing. One. It's it's playing this one. Yeah. Yeah, directed by Jill Six. Um, and it's if anyone saw the short film, it's um the same character played by Najara Townsend, and um yeah, I play the other woman in it. The woman that, that her character gets obsessed with. That was a horrible pitch for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 okay. Um, uh, Jill's been on the show three times, so um, oh yeah, we've talked about a stylist a lot. Uh, we both really loved it. I loved um, it. Absolutely uh, loved it. It's one of the most yeah. assured feature debuts I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I, I, it's a really beautiful movie. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I had a friend that watched it and said that it was the best representation she's seen of someone with anxiety and OCD mm. even though the woman turns out to be a killer she was like it's just a really she captures it really well so I, I think that that's that's very cool like yeah. I, I like 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 as endorsements go I would say that that's kind of like a pretty strong one to get yeah yeah I have to talk about after midnight for a oh, second here we go oh. <laughs> here, he go, here he goes what's gonna happen it's, it's almost become a running joke um over the last i guess i guess the last year because i saw um after midnight it's you light screams in sheffield last year um after midnight is my favorite film of the last like maybe five years holy shit wow i have this very kind of very specific memory of watching it for the first time at celluloid screams um with that kind of the long unbroken shot on the porch yeah um, where me and a friend of mine who was equally as excited about it as I was, like as we got to kind of towards the back end of the monologue, we both kind of were just kind of sitting there, just like openly sobbing on each other's shoulders. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. I just needed a sec to make a racket about how much I love After Midnight as well. You know, I, I, I am in it and I'm a big fan of it as well. I think that those guys are really talented filmmakers. And if people haven't seen it, I think it is exactly the kind of indie horror I love to watch. And so like you have, you need to see it. It's, it is like a really yeah. small, intimate, cool movie. And um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really proud of that movie. I'm really happy with the way it turned out. I have to say you as well, um, I know you've gushed a fair amount, but I, I'm going to say, I think, uh, I think that Jeremy Gardner is one of the best, like one of the most natural actors working in indie horror as well. Yeah, I totally agree. He's, um, intimidatingly good at everything he does it's very frustrating <laughs> yeah, I, can, I can understand why that would be annoying to be around you <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he is but he's but he's so lovely he's so, so good to work with and um i mean that script he wrote for after midnight is just like really genius when i read it i was like i have to do this movie it literally reading the monologue scene reading it made me cry yeah, yeah. it's amazing but yeah, uh, so we've talked about a lot of the things that you have going on, but you are a very busy woman. Is there anything else that you'd like to give a little bit of airspace to before we wrap up? No, I mean, I uh, rent my movie. Um, and uh, if you read books, I do a book podcast called Reading Glasses. And uh, that's kind of... Oh, no, that's not it. I put out a graphic novel and it just came out. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. 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 It's called Mary. It's like a YA graphic novel about a fictional descendant of Mary Shelley. And it's got monsters and stuff. So if people like graphic novels... I think it's YA audience, but I think anyone can read it. Not like a five-year-old, but like, you know, anyone over. <laughs> YA and over. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, Holy yeah. shit. That may be the most extensive what do you have going on that I think we've ever done, Mitch. That's quite possible, yeah. actually. Yeah. Bria, this has been class. Before you go, where can people catch you on social media? I've actually left most of social media. I felt like it was taking too much out of me. So I am on Instagram still. Uh, it's just Bria Grant on Instagram. You can okay. follow me there. We will see how long it lasts. But yes, that is that is where I'm at. <laughs> okay, cool. Bria, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate you taking so much time. Yeah, this has yeah. been amazing. This has been an, an absolute treat. It's been something that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Even more so when I learned that the film was going to be Basket Case. So uh, thank you so much. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. So it finally happened. Bria stopping by on the show. She was just lovely as well, which is uh, which I'm glad about. Yeah, it's always nice when that happens, isn't it? <laughs> it's certainly preferable. <laughs> well, yeah, to people being ourselves, I would yes. agree. And to be honest, we've had very few. That is so true. It's curious that you didn't say none. <laughs> Huge thank you to Bria Grant for joining us on the show. She has basically everything out there right now. 12-hour shift surfacing in the UK early on next year. Lockie appearing on Shudder early on next year. After Midnight available now. Mary available now. The Reading Glasses podcast is everywhere. Get out there. Check those things out. They're, without exception, great. Yeah, it's an absolutely amazing work ethic and an amazing hit ratio. Yeah, I didn't even mention the stylist in that list just there. And we both love the stylist. Yeah. But with that, we're done for another one. And our Halloween episode, as it were, is at its end. Yeah, and uh, you know what that means, Mitch? Technically, it's my 40th tomorrow. It is indeed. All Hallows Eve Eve and Andy's 40th Eve. What have you got, me? How are you feeling? Just you wait and see. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm cooking something up. I'm cooking something up. I'm actually, I'm, I'm really excited about it, so I'm not going to say anymore. Okay. However... We will be back on Monday. Regardless of how you handle turning 40, we're back on Monday. Rain or shine, I'm afraid. Mm, I'm fully expecting to just turn into dust like that guy at the end of Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. <laughs> we will be giving a debut to your Nature Gone Wild side quest. Oh, of course. Oh, that's exciting. That's something to look forward to. Yeah, you got a film picked? Maybe. Okay, okay. Interesting. We will be talking about what else we've been watching. We'll be taking a look at your feedback, playing Mitch's pitches, letting you know everything you need to know for next week. Just all the usual stuff. If you want to get in touch with us between now and then, there's loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can email Scenes at gmail.com. And you can, of course, interact with other listeners on our Facebook group, The Chud Locker. Yep, and as you may know by now, we do have a Patreon patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes check it out yeah we're heading into november loads of cool stuff upcoming go take a look at it see if there's any tiers that work out for you however if you want to support us in any way at all the best way you can do it is spread the word yeah that would be lovely and i know we've said it loads of times and we kind of don't want to keep going over kind of the same stuff over and over again but please please tell your friends like uh leave reviews likes on whatever podcast provider you use it really really does help but um i guess word of mouth is probably the biggest thing so please tell people that we're, we're all right yeah and you know what we've seen a lot of new people come on board lately um we've had a really good few months and just big thank you to everybody that's been around kind of from word go but everybody that's kind of got on the train since then as well every single one of you kind of makes this more and more fun and more and more interactive and we appreciate all of it yeah and you make it more than we ever thought it would be so thank you so much that is so true yeah we are back on monday with yet another mini-sode the train does not stop no. join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds goodbye bye guys You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. <laughs>